Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. Pull up a chair while I take a deeper dive into the concerns for the team's present and future. Questions are always welcomed, whether on Twitter, Tim815, on the Anchor Contest Line, or on my Facebook, Pre-Arb Excellence Group. Thanks for stopping by for today's episode, adding a verse to a Cubs theme and ask me questions if I was confusing. In my other life, there is a podcast I listen to, which the podcasts are longer than these are. I don't know if any of you could take me talking any longer than I already do. But in the Other World podcast, in general, it's kind of split into two portions. One is a looking back sort of portion, and one is more of a looking forward sort of a portion. Or if you want to look at it this way, one is an old business portion, and the other is new stuff, stuff that I haven't mentioned before, stuff that you haven't heard before. Either way, either or, whichever way it works for you, that is basically how it ends up working in the other one. And I'm trying to get a little bit more toward that. Today's topic is adding a verse to a Cubs theme. Adding a verse to a Cubs theme. No, I'm not writing a new verse for Go Cubs Go or a Cubs fan's dying request or anything along those lines. But I'm taking a theme that has been rather popular, especially on Twitter, sometimes on Facebook, and adding a bit to it, adding a bit to it. The theme that has been popular for the past three years, three years, maybe four, probably not much longer than that, but has been to compare the 2016 Cubs, more specifically the 2017 to present Cubs, to the 1985 Bears, more specifically the 1986 to 1992 Bears. The presumption being, in 1985, all the Cubs fans were, all the Bears fans, 1985, all the Bears fans were totally convinced that the Bears were going to change football. They were going to be a dynasty. And in 2016, the thought was, the Cubs were going to change baseball. They were going to be a dynasty. And since neither team became a dynasty, they didn't change football or baseball. And they were failures. That's the legend. That's the concept. That's the topic a lot of to- a lot of people talk about. And there's a difference between changing things and becoming a dynasty. There's a difference between changing things and becoming a dynasty. Some dynasties do change things. Some non-dynasties change things. I, I, I think both the Bears and the Cubs definitely changed things. 
I've talked about it before, and I'll talk about it again. In 1985, one of the things the Bears did, and they also did it in 94, 85 Bears did it, the 84 Bears did it as well, and it was very popular for Bears fans. But for fans of the rest of the league, it wasn't so popular. What the Bears did before anyone else figured it out. Now, the Bears were not the first team to have linebackers blitz. By no stretch am I going to say the Bears were the first team to have linebackers blitz. They weren't. They were not. What the Bears engineered was having three linebackers, Wilbur Marshall, Otis Wilson, Mike Singletary. All three of them, any of them, could blitz and at any point in any game turn the other team's quarterback into kindling wood. If you watch the Bears games back in the 80s, you know what I'm talking about. The goal was, on the snap of the ball, or shortly thereafter if you're doing a delayed blitz, somebody would blitz, and if the quarterback would fade to pass, the goal would be wipe him out. Wipe him out. Bam! Hit him as hard as possible. Use physics to your advantage. And if it turned out that, wow, he's not getting up, or he is getting up, but he's limping, gee, that's, that, that, that's horrible. That's the design. That was absolutely, completely the design. Be as rugged as possible. And it was fantastic to watch if you were a Bears fan. But if you have a quarterback you're developing and he, and he fades back, and his career is done. His career is done because a linebacker got in on a blitz. Now, for Bears fans, it's fine. No worries. But the rest of the league said, you know what? We don't like having our quarterbacks getting their season over. That's not something we want to see happen. Players getting injured. Quarterbacks getting injured was not the goal. So shortly after the Bears won the Super Bowl, the rules started to get changed. The rules started to get changed because teams didn't want to have to compete with the Bears. Now, there are two things that happened. One, safety rules for quarterbacks started to kick in shortly thereafter. Not immediately thereafter, not immediately thereafter, but the mindset started to change toward maybe, maybe, maybe we ought to make it possible for quarterbacks to not get brutalized. Right now, if someone does anything even close to any of those hits that Otis Wilson or Wilbur Marshall or Mike Singletary or Richard Dent or whoever, any of those body smashing hits, that's 15. All-time NFL fans have a soft spot in their heart for the Bears sometimes, even if they aren't Bears fans, because that's when football was real football. And, of course, there are injury statistics, suicide statistics, all that kind of stuff that goes along with it. 
The Bears changed football because teams decided we don't want our quarterbacks getting killed anymore. And one other thing that started to happen, teams started to realize, and if you go back and watch the Bears games from 1985, 1984, 1986, anywhere in that range, two plays really worked. Two plays really worked against the Bears defense. The screen pass and the draw. The screen pass and the draw. And shortly after the Bears started dominating people, teams started to realize, let's go with more screens and let's go with more draws. Let's go with more quicker passes. Because then if you go with screens and draws and quick passes, then the defense who is trying to um, rush very aggressively and wipe out the quarterback and play all in, it doesn't work quite as well. The Bears changed the game. The Bears changed the game by forcing the league to come up with protect the quarterback rules. And the Cubs and the Bears changed the league by basically forcing teams to go to the West Coast offense. If you don't know what the West Coast offense is, this isn't a football podcast, but look into it. West Coast offense was basically designed to make sure something that the Bears were doing back in the mid-80s would not be successful all that much anymore. The Bears changed football. Not just NFL football. The Bears changed football by forcing teams to adjust their play calling and by bringing about safety rules. The Bears changed football. Now, about the Cubs, about the Cubs, the Cubs also changed baseball. The Cubs changed affiliated baseball. In 2014, in 2015, there were things that were starting to happen. But it was still being formed. You had the Royals winning in 2015. You had the Red Sox going good, bad, good. Um, the Yankees were struggling at winning in October. The Cubs did one thing, one thing that completely changed everything. They all of a sudden had four guys on their roster. Four guys. Javier Baez, Chris Bryant, Kyle Hendricks, Addison Russell. Four guys on their roster that were three-plus win players on Baseball reference, probably fan graphs too, but I know it's baseball reference. Four guys that were three plus win players on baseball reference making less than a million dollars a year. That doesn't even take into consideration Anthony Rizzo, who was making five million. Doesn't even take into consideration Dexter Fowler, who came back for one more swing at it with the Cubs because he thought they were really close. Doesn't include them. The Cubs, followed the next year by the Astros, showed very conclusively, you can win a World Series by kicking butt in player development. 
Since then, most of the teams that have had success have also had a player who, hey, look at this, is the guy who's a three-plus win player, maybe two of them, this is the guy who's a three-plus win player. Andrew Benintendi was one of them. In 20... Which year was he? 2015, 2016. Benintendi would have been 2018. Three-plus win player, making less than a million dollars. If you have two or three players who are three-plus win players, doesn't matter which one you're breaking it to. It's not, it's not the, ooh, this is a fan graph singer. This is a baseball reference. No, no, no. This is a, if you have guys who are really good, who are making basically league minimum. If you have no players like that, you're kind of screwed. If you have no players that are good and inexpensive, you're really kind of screwed. Cubs had a number of them this year that did well. And they still end up, ended up being screwed. But... If you have no players on your roster, none, zero, you look at your preseason roster, there's nobody on here that's going to make less than a million dollars a season. Nobody's going to make less than a million dollars this season and be a three-plus win player. Your team's not going to win. You're not going to. What the Cubs ended up showing, what the Cubs ended up displaying, if you have a pipeline full of talent, everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. John Lester knew it. Jason Hayward knew it. Even more importantly, their agents knew it. Lester. Zobrist. They knew, hey, all I have to do, sign a contract, show up, and do my job. These youngsters are going to carry the weight. The youngsters are going to carry the weight. All John Lester's got to do is go out and pitch his game. Jake Arrieta wasn't that expensive either that year. If a team has a loaded pipeline at the major league level, and they also have good older players, they're going to be a tough out. They're going to be a really tough out in October because a reasonably competent general manager can be able to, well, okay, uh, we've got these guys, and then uh, we're, uh, okay, we'll be fine. If you have the better talent, you should make it to October. San Diego aside. Normally, the better teams will make it to October. And if you get to October and you have had production from younger players as well as your older players, you should have a reasonably deep team and you should be reasonably ready to be ready for the coin flip round of the postseason. Why did the Cubs not follow up? In 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, they didn't have anybody else coming up. They traded Glaber Torres to get Aroldis Chapman. Now, you can love the trade, you can hate the trade, either way, I, wh whichever doesn't matter. Once Glaber Torres went away, there went a decent bit of the Cubs minor league pipeline. 2017, Cubs realized we need a cost controlled starting pitcher 
or we're not going to win the division in 2017. You may be a fan of the trade the Cubs made to get Jose Quintana, or you may not be. Now, I got a hunch. I got a hunch. But you can like the trade. You can not like the trade. What the trade did was not only did it get rid of, not only had Glaber Torres gone away, but now so had Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease. The Cubs, for the foreseeable future, had nobody coming up that was going to be a three-plus win guy making league minimum. None. Nada. You know how the Oakland A's put together a good team, but they don't really go very far in October? One of the reasons, I don't know, one of the reasons might be they don't have young players who are making, that are three-plus win players. When you have guys like that, and when you have guys coming up, and you can count on, well, this guy is going to be good in one year, and this guy should be good in two years, then you can have some certainty. The A's make some brilliant moves in the offseason, but they don't have the developmental certainty that, for instance, the Dodgers have had. That through the years, hypothetically, the Cardinals have had. Yeah, Cardinals don't really have to worry. Yeah, well, somebody's going to come along. Somebody's going to be good. Somebody will plug them in. They'll be fine. It's going to happen. It'll work that way. For a long time, that worked with the Cardinals. And if that ceases to happen, then they'll be in trouble. I've said all this stuff before. I've said all this stuff before. And if you've heard me say it before and you've listened to me talk about it for 20 minutes, thank you very much. But um, I want to add a little bit to it today. I want to add a little bit to it today. And one of them is something based on something that happened last night. Something that happened last night. Actually, two somethings that happened last night. Everyone, everyone, everyone was assuming that the Chicago White Sox were going to be a dynasty. Everyone in Chicago, they're going to be a Why are they going to be a dynasty? Well, they have Yohan Moncada, they have Eloy Jimenez, they have Tim Anderson, they, you know, just, just wrong. They have all these guys, they have all these guys, they have Jose Abreu, they have all these guys. They are going to be a dynasty because they have all these guys. You know what? That starts to sound a whole lot like. There's going to be a whole lot of White Sox fans nor Cubs fans are going to like to hear this. Neither side's going to like it. Not even remotely. But I think it's true. When you start having the, well, we have Jimenez and we have Moncada and we have Luis Robert. and we, You have these guys who are in the major leagues right now. You know what that starts to really sound like? That really starts to sound like the cult of the core of the Cubs. The cult of the core of the Cubs was, we have Chris Bryant, and we have Anthony Rizzo, and we have Javier Baez, and we have Addison Russell, and we have Wilson Contreras, and we have... Who you have coming up? Who's going to be coming up that's going to be a three-plus win player, taking over for the spot for the player who no longer gets it done? What do you mean? These guys are going to be superstars forever. 
Everybody knows that. Well, didn't really work very well with Addison Russell now, did it? Well, you couldn't have seen that. It's not that you see it coming or that you don't see it coming. The premise with baseball is have so many prospects in the pipeline. That doesn't matter. Guy gets hurt. He's done for the year. No worries. We bring up this guy. Hopefully he's better in the fall. Or hopefully he's better in the spring. That guy over there, he's slumped. Okay, we'll bring in this guy. Plug him in. Put this guy in the 10-day disabled list. Let him figure it out. Cody Bellinger's having a terrible year. Okay, well, we'll plug in somebody else. We'll go out and pick up Albert Pujols on waivers and pay him minimum wage for a year to finish off the season, play him a bunch of first base. Whatever. The way to win in baseball has been changed by largely the Chicago Cubs of 2016 and the Houston Astros of 2017. Whether they win another title or not, they change the game. Everyone realized, wow, it's not going to be our 28 and our 29-year-old guys are going to determine the season. That's what people thought. Hey, this guy, he's getting to be 27, 28 years old. He's going to be great. Maybe he hits 29, hits 30, let's give him an extension. That's not how it works anymore. That's not how people win anymore. How people win anymore is, okay, this guy's getting to be 27, 28, 29 years old. Here's an extension we would be willing to offer you. Are you interested in that? Heck no. I'm better than that. I deserve to get paid more than that. I'm going to be a free agent. I, okay, fine. No problem. That, no offense. You know, have a great year. And then at some point along the line, if the player's not going to stick around, he gets traded and someone from the minor leagues gets called up to replace him. Now, if you're calling up a lousy guy from the minor leagues, if you're calling up a guy from the minor leagues who isn't going to be any good, well, that's not going to help your team any, is it? That's not going to help your team at all, is it? The Cubs this year displayed that. However, what if you have a good team at the major league level and you have a good major, minor league pipeline? How can you have that? How can you have both a good major league team and a good minor league pipeline? <laughs> Did you watch the other game? Did you watch the other game on Thursday night? Tampa Bay, a lot of people are, eh, I really don't care that much about Tampa Bay. And in part, it's because, well, I haven't seen these guys playing for three or four or five or six years. Well, that's exactly the point. They have talent in the minor leagues. So when this outfielder of theirs does fairly well, Intrigues another team. Hey, we're kind of interested in that guy. We would be interested in trading. You, you, I don't know if we can trade you this guy. We got a sucker here. I really don't know if I can trade you this guy because he's really, oh, okay, how about this? We'll let, and then they make a trade. And the Rays aren't trading for an expensive veteran. They're trading away this guy who, he's good, he's functional, he's useful. They trade him to whichever team it is. In exchange, they get two or three guys in the minor leagues. We stole from them. 
these minor leaguers were they, they, well. Okay, you guys get that minor leaguer, and we will call up uh, Wander Franco. Wait a minute, isn't he the guy who's the number one? Yeah, 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 he's the guy. Plug him in, bat him second. Oh my goodness, they're a better team now after they made the trade. Ding! And they have more guys now in the minor league pipeline developing. Well, that can't last. It, it can't, you, you can't have all good teams in the minor leagues. <laughs> Funny you mention. Um, this offseason, uh, th this season, most minor leagues had two teams qualify for the playoffs. And in most cases, it was the two teams with the best record in the league. So it's not anybody backing in. It's not anybody, well, I was in a really crappy division and we had the best record in the division. No, it's the two best teams in the league make it to the finals. Tampa Bay, of their four full-season affiliates, won three titles. The fourth title, the title that they didn't win, they lost in an elimination game in the final by one run. Tampa Bay is loaded. And they won the best league in baseball. And they're loaded. And they are financially set. And their minor league pipeline is loaded. So how can the Cubs compete with the Yankees who go out and spend, 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 theoretically, the Dodgers who spend and have a great pipeline, or the Rays who have an elite pipeline. How can the Cubs compete with that? They have to, or they will lose. It's not a question of you're going to go out and buy the proper veteran free agent pitchers and they will magically... No, that's not going to happen. It's about developing internally. It's about developing internally. It's about developing internally. In January, the Cubs finally got around to being able to sign... Christian Hernandez and assigned him to the Dominican Summer League, seeing as he wasn't totally ready for stateside baseball yet. He was sent to the Dominican Summer League, and it was presumed it was going to be a coronation. It was going to be Christian Hernandez dominating everyone and everything in his path. Toward late in the season, Hernandez was quite good. But Hernandez didn't get Cubs Dominican Player of the Year. He didn't. And it wasn't due to um, politics or where this guy lived or who this guy was related to or anything. No, what happened is Pedro Ramirez kicked Cristian Hernandez butt statistically. Pedro Ramirez was better than Christian Hernandez. 
There was no, oh, well, you know, this guy gets all the acclaim, so he's going to be the one. No, 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 no. The guy who won, the guy who did it, the guy who got it done, got the award. That's how it should be. Pedro Ramirez, I'm going to tap up his numbers here again. I just wrote them down in a podcast. Uh, in a in an article that you may be reading, you may have already read. Um, but Pedro Ramirez turns 17. Correction, he turns 18 on April 1st of 2022. 17 years old, 190 days from Temblador, Venezuela. His batting average, I know batting averages don't move the needle for people anymore. His batting average is 359, OPS 417, slugging 503, slugging 503, OPS 919. Pedro Ramirez just went out and took it. Oliver Roquet got pitcher of the year in the Dominican League over... I was at 31 and two-thirds innings. He allowed like 22, 23 base runners. Brennan Davis was named Cubs Minor League Player of the Year. DJ Hers was named Cubs Minor League Pitcher of the Year. For September, Daniel Triantos was Cubs Minor League Player of the Month. Daniel Palencia acquired in the Andrew Chafin trade. Andrew Chafin, who will be a free agent in about a month. But the Cubs still get to keep Daniel Palencia. Cubs still get to keep Greg Dykeman, too. If the Cubs can develop talent better than other teams do, they'll be in good shape, at least as compared to those teams. It used to be all about go out and spend money, get the veterans, get the veterans who are good, ride them forever. And that's the mindset many fans still have. Since it worked in the 80s, since it worked in the 90s, since it worked in the 2000s, it obviously still works now. Except really kind of now it doesn't. Players, whether they're getting older quicker, I don't know that I would say that. But players are getting older quicker at younger ages. It used to be you'd call up a player who was 20 or 21 years old and he would have serious flaws in his game. Well, yeah, he's eventually going to be good, but this thing's wrong with him, or that thing's wrong with him. There are players... Wander Franco, there's nothing the matter there. There's nothing the matter there. Fernando Tatis, if he can stay healthy, he's fine. Vladdy Jr., no worries. If teams are bringing up quality young talent, regularly, both on the pitching side and the hitting side, the team will be fine. That's how it is now. 
That's how it is now. And it kind of pisses some people off because some people really want to be able to look at their um, Microsoft Excel, Excel spreadsheet and know exactly how this player is going to do next year. This player is going to do the year after that. And this player is going to do the year after that. So because of that, this team... Are you considering the minor leaguers? The minor leaguers that are pounding through systems? If you're assessing the Cubs on into 2022, 2023, 2024, 2025, and you're not considering people like Daniel Palencia, people like James Triantos, people like Drew Gray, a third-round pick out of IMG Academy in Florida this July, left-hander, 6364. I'm going to look that one up. Um, I like having my baseball reference page up when I'm doing the podcast. Slows the proceedings down a little bit, but I get you a better podcast, I think. Drew Gray, six foot three, 190, third round choice out of IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. Per Arizona Phil, who is out watching instructional league games as we do our jobs. Arizona Phil is out there watching Drew Gray pitch. And on the Cub Reporter, he periodically chimes in with, oh, by the way, way I put it on the podcast, he, he delivers... Hors d'oeuvres, you know what hors d'oeuvres are. You know those little tiny things, that, you know, finger food? Yeah. He provides hors d'oeuvres that are the size of full course meals. Drew Gray, out in the instructional league, is now sitting 94, 94 to 97 with a 12 to 6 curveball. When was the last time you ever heard of a Cubs prospect? Freshly out of high school, sitting 94 to 97 in the 12 to 6 curveball. Out of high school. It's not to say Drew Gray is going to be a, an ace or a two. It's not saying that. The Cubs have an absurd amount of of developing options. The Cubs have an absurd amount of internally developing options. I recently wrote my Cubs Top 30 prospect list. I hadn't done that in a while. Hadn't done it in a while. Really not a fan of doing it. Really not a fan of doing it because what ends up happening with a list along those lines. I will give you a list or I would give you a list back in the day. And I had my reasons in mind for I'm putting this particular player 12th, this particular player 14th, and this particular player 18th. And I'm putting them there for specific reasons that I know and you don't. My preferences, my awarenesses, my knowledges, something. And... When I put this one player at 12 and this one player at 14 and this one player at 18, the knowledge that I'm having and imparting through the list, you're taking and making your own assumptions. 
I don't like that guy at 14. So obviously that guy at 18, he obviously sucks even worse than the guy at 14. It's not even the point. It's not even the point. The goal with a list for me, when I do them, and I am reluctant to do them, because I'm going to look down the list. How does one assess the differences now? How does one assess the differences now between Pete Crow Armstrong and Kevin Alcantara? No, seriously. What are the things that I am putting Armstrong over Alcantara or Alcantara over Pete Crow Armstrong? Whichever way. I'm putting this one over that one because what reasons? It's... It's what flavor ice cream do you like? I like strawberry. So obviously everybody likes strawberry. No, not everybody likes strawberry. You have your own preferences for your own reasons. When I put together my list, what I noticed was it's really hard at the top to differentiate between two and six. Really hard to do that for me. I'm looking at the name at two. I'm looking at the name at six. How do I split those two nuts? They are both very similar. Then you have players like Miguel Amaya and Braylon Marquez who have had serious concerns with getting on the field due to injuries. How does one even place them on a list? Where does one put Miguel Amaya on a Cubs prospect list? And why there? He's very good when he's healthy. He's had a hard time staying healthy. He's missed... He, well, he missed all of 2020 because, well, owners. And he missed much of 2021 due to an injury. Now, is he doing things in the interim that he is learning from that will make him a better player? I, I don't know. But it's really hard to place... And Miguel Amaya. Then once you get down to 14, 15, 16, some, somewhere around there, maybe 17, somewhere around there, the difference between the guy, 14, 15, 16, 17, wherever it is that your cutoff would be, if you do a list, and the guys who are 27, 28, 29, 30, they're the same. They're almost exactly the same. So when I'm writing a list and I have this guy at 18 and this guy at 28, somebody's going to look at the list. Wow, there's 10 guys. That, that's, a, that's a span of 10. There has to be a huge difference between those two. No, really, there's not. They're almost exactly the same. As I look at my list, 17 to 28, 29, 30, I could flip them and it wouldn't matter. It just really wouldn't matter because they are all that's that close. That's how it works in the draft too, folks. That's exactly how it works in the draft. When you get a guy who's, this guy went in the fourth round, this guy went in the ninth round. Well, that's a really wide difference. Well, not really. The players in those rounds are very similar. When I did put together my list, I'm not going to announce my list. I might adjust it and announce it mid-season, mid-off-season or so. But there is one person I will mention on my list. And he ended up at 30 on my list. 
and I'm perfectly good with putting him at 30 on my list. Possibly he belongs there. Possibly he belongs a little bit higher. Possibly someone would say, no, 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 no. He hasn't proven enough. He should be lower than 30. He should be replaced. Someone else should... What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Really, that's what it boils to. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? There's not much difference. But as I look at my Cubs list, which I'm reasonably comfortable with, and I know there'd be some people, why you have that guy at 16, he ought to be at eight. You're a fool. Well, yeah, I probably am a fool. But I, I have my reason for putting players where they are. What impresses me so much about this list is no matter how you're going to shuffle it, no matter where you're going to put whom, there's going to be really good quality at that spot. I don't necessarily remember saying that before. I really don't necessarily remember saying that before. Now, there have been years where two, three, and four are possibly better, been better than they are right now. You know, when you had uh, Chris Bryant and Addison Russell, that was a really good one, too. Then you had Kyle Schwarber creeping up, and he probably would have been a good three, however you want to look at it. There have probably been better than one, two, threes. But as far as that person is 23rd, that person is 27th, on my list, Pedro Ramirez is 30. On my list, Pedro Ramirez is 30. I've already recounted for you his numbers. In a league where 700 is a very good OPS. This 17-year-old had an OPS of well over 900. This week, he debuted in the Arizona League. This week, last night, since I made my list of 30, first game stateside. First game, stateside, yes, it was a back alley brawl. It was a an instructs game. It was not against somebody who is a double-A pitcher. But it was a game in the United States. My 30th prospect in the Cubs list. Making his pro debut. Two for four. Single, double, run scored, RBI, stolen base. He's my 30th prospect. That's not forcing me to move him because I look at everyone else and they, they belong there. Wherever it is I put them, they belong there. I'm good with it. The Cubs have a developing system. The Cubs have a very deep system. It's not top-heavy. It's not going to heavily contribute in 2022. That's not the plan. The plan is to put together a pipeline like the Dodgers, like the Rays, that eventually when someone gets to a point where, hey, some other team just called us about our player who's playing at, parenthetically, insert position here. Let's imagine for a minute 
let's just dream for a little bit. That in about, I don't know, July of 2023, Owen Casey is developing quite well through the system. And let's also take the Arizona Phil idea that the, the Cubs have switched him to first base. And he's looking like he is going to be a useful major league first baseman at some point in July of 2023. Now, he's not going to be at the major league level in 2023. I don't think. Could be wrong. I don't think that's the expectation. But let's say in July of 2023, he's in double A kicking butt. Fair cop? Fair cop? I think so. He's doing fairly well in double A in July of 2023. Cubs are looking at the how everything's going on. It's like, you know, I think Owen Casey might be able to fill in as a long-term first baseman. Be perfectly useful for a really long time. Plausible? Makes sense? Seems like it to me. Might happen, might not happen, but it's at least a reasonable uh, mental game to follow. So you get to middle of July... 2023, I'd say Frank Schwindel is still doing reasonably well at a reasonably low rate. Fair assessment? Some people are going to be saying, oh, I can't stand that because Anthony Rizzo should always be the... Um, so the Cubs have Frank Schwindel. It's July. And somebody is saying, hey, you know what? We want to make the playoffs in July. And our first baseman is kind of scuffling a little bit. How about let's make a trade? You trade us Frank Schwindel, and we'll, we'll trade you some uh, middle reliever from the major league roster. Nah, 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 nah. You don't want a middle league, middle of the bullpen reliever from the major league roster. We want a prospect, and it's going to hurt. We want a prospect, and it's going to hurt. But yeah, you can certainly have Frank Schwindel or Patrick Wisdom or any other similar type of player. Because 2023, the Cubs will start to look like a valid Major League team, but they won't be ready to compete with the elite yet. They won't be there yet. Because they won't have the talent yet. The goal at some point ought to be, with the Cubs to do what the White Sox did not do, what the Bears did not do, what the 2016 Cubs did not do. All the time have somebody almost ready to take over for a guy who's currently a starter and the guy who will be taking over for him is almost better than he is. That should be the goal. Every single time, every single year, Every single position, having a guy in double A or a guy in triple A, or even better, a guy in both of them and another guy in high A. This guy is ready to take. So let's look to 2022. Let's assume there's no strike. There's no lockout. There's no nothing. Everything's going just the way it always usually does. Cubs get to middle of June. Possibly, possibly, possibly early in July. 
Somebody's saying, you know what? I kind of like how Rafael Ortega's playing for you guys. Rafael Ortega impresses the heck out of me. I'm interested in Rafael Ortega. Okay, cool. What, what, what are you willing to trade? Well, we have this broken down picture. No, 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 no. That's not what we're interested. Okay, we have a backup catcher at the minute. No, 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 no. That's not, no. That's not what we're interested in. What young player do you have that you are willing to offer? A young player with upside. A young player with team control as far as the eye can see on into the future. If you want to trade that for Rafael Ortega or Patrick Wisdom or whichever relief pitcher is having a good month, that's the mindset that wins long term. I'm willing to trade a short-term piece for a long-term piece. I, I had I have an article due on Bleed Cubby Blue. Recently, I'd done an article on how well the Jack Peterson trade played out. I don't think um, Al, my editor, enjoyed it all that much. He made some comments that, okay, fine, you don't really dig it. No problem, no worries. But actually, it had really good responses from people, which... Kind of surprised me because I wasn't expecting it. I was talking about how well the Jack Peterson trade had worked out. Here is the Cubs' best trade of the July run. And it wasn't the Jack Peterson trade. Right before the deadline, the Cubs traded Jake Marisnik to the Padres for a prospect. The prospect is Anderson Espinoza, who was a highly ranked Padres prospect before a whole bunch of injuries kicked in, and he had gone a long time before, uh, previous to 2021, since he'd even pitched a game. The Cubs traded Jake Marisnik, and the plan was to call up Michael Hermosillo to replace Mariznik on the roster. But a couple days before the trade happened, Mariznik had like a thigh problem and was scrubbed. Put on the injured list. So Mariznik did not replace Mariznik was not replaced on the roster by Hermosillo until a bit later. 27th or something like that. And then, after about two weeks of playing, and there are a number of people who say Jake Marisnik, or Michael Hermosillo belongs on the Cubs' 40-man off-season roster. I don't agree, but I don't argue it too much. It's, again, what kind of what, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? So... For trading Jake Marisnik, the Cubs were allowed to sample how they liked Michael Hermosillo. And some people want Hermosillo on the 40-man roster. Giving Michael Hermosillo at bats over Jake Marisnik 
completely made sense. Having Mariznik blocking Hermosillo in 2021 would have been foolish. After about two weeks of playing, Hermosillo himself was injured. And about a week later, Trace Thompson was called up to replace Hermosillo. And I haven't heard anybody saying Trace Thompson should be on the Cubs 40-man roster all offseason. Again, maybe it's happened. Maybe there are people who are saying it should happen, and I haven't heard it. But um, here's the reality. In the time, the replacement for the replacement, Trace Thompson replaced Michael Hermosillo, who replaced Jake Marisnik. The replacement for the replacement hit four home runs for the Cubs in September and October. Jake Marisnik for the Padres. In more at-bats and more plate appearances than Trace Thompson had, had two runs batted in. If the trade were Trace Thompson for Jake Marisnik, it's a completely one-sided trade. If the trade was Jake Marisnik for Michael Hermosillo, it was a completely one-sided trade. And it wasn't Jake Marisnik for either of those two veteran outfielders. The trade was Jake Marisnik for Anderson Espinoza because he might well contribute in 2022, 2023, 2024, and 2025. When a team trades present pieces that really aren't all that essential for future pieces, that is how trades are crushed. The Cubs absolutely stole Anderson Espinosa. He'll be in spring training next year. And for all I know, so might Jake Marisnik, because why not? I have no problem with adding Jake Marisnik on a minor league deal. None whatsoever. That is exactly the type of minor league, uh, that's the exact type of contract that Jake Marisnik should be signing. A minor league deal. Assessing long-term is far preferable to assessing short-term unless you are really close to winning a World Series. Right now, the Cubs aren't. Work for the future, look for the future. Palencia, Triantos, DJ Hers, Jordan Wicks, Pedro Ramirez, Alexander Vizcaino, Ryan Jensen, Ed Howard. Not all of them are going to work. Not all of them are going to cash. Not all of them are going to pay out. Until the Cubs get to the point where they are developing talent better than they are churning through it. It doesn't matter. 
And if the Cubs do get to the point where they are bringing up pitchers and hitters, and every time the guy comes up, wow, this guy seems to have it figured out. This guy seems to have it figured out. This guy seems to have it figured out. And the Cubs will be in good shape for that reason. And then executives, agents, players, free agents will say, you know what? The Cubs are the team I want to go play for. The Cubs and the Bears changed baseball and football. They didn't adjust well. Will this current set of executives adjust well to how baseball is changing? And it's still changing. It's still changing. If you believe that baseball is going to be in six years exactly how it was two years ago, you're wrong. Baseball will not be how it is, how it was two years ago in six years. It just doesn't work that way. Teams say, hey, this is working. Let's do that. This is working. Let's do that. People copy, people mimic. The Bears and the Cubs changed their sports when they won championships. They didn't adjust very well. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps the Cubs have grasped the importance of having loads and loads and loads of prospects and a pot commitment to developing them. We'll see. Thanks for stopping by Pre-Arb Excellence. I'll have another podcast up soon as circumstances warrant. I'll attempt to have that worth your time as well. Be safe, go Cubs, go. Sorry for taking so long. Be nice to people.